but the f bottle jobs, a lot of them. I'm sorry. This is not a dream job, this is reality. I am an actor. The best word I can say but uh, will describe this was boom. And I think that you are an ostrich. Well, your head must be in the sand. But Premier League is a fraud. Ferret head. Very much looks like a ferret, doesn't it? Which form is that? That's the second time it's gone off. Hello and welcome to the Balls.E football show. That's your football show here on Balls.E, brought to you in association with Labros. My own name is Gavin Casey and joining me is the other Gavin, the greater Gavin, the Gavin of the greater good, Gavin Cooney. Yeah, I fully endorse that introduction, Gav. I'm really well. How are you? Uh, good, thanks. Good, thanks. A reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes by simply searching Balls.E football and clicking podcasts and then clicking subscribe and also clicking uh, five-star review for the lads uh if you're sound that is coming up on today's show gav here has been talking to the fascinating character that is stephen mcphail and we'll also have our lad ladbrokes bet of the week the return of manchester united's most famous fan maybe mick, mick hucknell might be ahead of him and bertie ahern uh andy, andy James Tate, by the, okay andy Tate's top 10 we'll give him top 10 okay fair enough uh but first it's been a pretty remarkable week in the world of Irish soccer. Yeah. A remarkable week for the football family, Gav, for all involved at both the FAI and at uh, senior level playing international football. Mm. The PFAI and the FAI will meet later this evening to discuss the most recent Irish football controversy. Uh, set to the backdrop, of course, of John Delaney's <laughs> election to UEFA's executive committee. Uh, just beautifully timed all of this, really. Yeah, well, the, the fact that the FAI and the PFAI are going to meet is progress because up to now, I think the players' main bone of contention was the fact that the FAI wouldn't uh, deal directly with the PFAI on behalf mm. of the players. Uh, that's apparently been policy by the FAI up to now, including with the men's team. Because, um, like, one of the points that Stephanie Roach made at this press conference yesterday was that we're not trained negotiators mm. we, we we do need we're football players ultimately we, we do need somebody here to negotiate on our behalf because let's be honest not just the FAI but football organizations or even in a wider sense uh, officials generally will yeah. take like if you give them an inch they'll take a couple of miles there off you so actually no yeah particularly the FAI so they do need some sort of representative and it was absurd of the FAI to not allow that until now yeah um, yeah, and the FAI had agreed to meet with an independent uh, third-party mediator, agreed by both sides. Now, the FAI up to now wor uh, weren't agreeing that that could be the PFAI, uh, but that is now happening. Uh, it's happening, uh, I think it's from 6 o'clock this evening as we record this, so like this is changing all the time. So there, w there might well be news on this this evening. Um, and as you mentioned, John Delaney, uh, this controversy has not held him back in the eyes <laughs> of the good people at UEFA. He was elected uh, this afternoon to the UEFA's executive committee, uh, which is the most powerful body in European football. And John John Delaney sitting there on it. These, um, I think he garnered the second most votes out of everybody. Uh, and actually, there's been plenty of focus on the money that he's getting. Um, David Gill, the former CEO of Manchester United, is on this executive committee. Um, his accounts last year showed that he got a hundred grand top up, mm. and everybody on it also gets a three hundred euro a day expense account. What would you? Uh, no, I'm not going to ask the question. Actually, what you'd be using that on? Um, that is. I, I don't really care about the money, to be yeah. honest with you. It's it's just the whole thing is absurd, you know. Like there's an like I think there's an element of this where 
Delaney is just a little bit detached now from what's going on back here. I think he's in the stratosphere a little bit, and uh, he's been elected to this committee. Yeah, an extra hundred grand, whatever. Like he's already on serious money. I don't, yeah. don't think it's going to make much of a difference to him. But uh, yeah, I, d- I don't know vote, what John. happened. I don't know what happened because Delaney had quite a close association with the Irish fans around 2012 and 2013, around the Euros, and he um. Obviously, you've seen him. Uh, you've seen videos of him in pubs and yeah. uh, going over and throwing his tie into the crowd after the playoff. Was it against Estonia in 2012? Yeah. Or maybe in maybe singing, in Moscow was it after the nil nil singing Republican songs? Yeah, no, but he's always had a relatively close relationship, but that's drifted quite badly. And he went mainstream, Gav. Yeah, maybe he, he did. He's left us. John he's the Baptist. He's I an maybe that was the maybe that was the turning point. There's um, been a few. Uh, been another a few. FAI uh, employee, Noel King, yeah. uh, appeared in Morning Ireland uh, to a little bit of controversy. Uh, he appeared on the RT Breakfast Show this morning uh, talking about the strike by the women's team. Uh, so let's hear a little bit of what he had to say. King is a former manager of the Ireland's women's national team. He's with us in our studio this morning. Noel King, thank you very much for coming into us. Morning. Um, you saw players that you would have managed uh, yesterday at that news conference, players like Stephanie Roach and Onyo Gorman, who we heard from there. Do you agree with what they had to say? Well, it's not what they have to say. What the solicitor there said for the PFAI, Jordan Deschew, uh, fifth-class citizen, that is outrageous. That is absolutely, completely wrong. Um, I was involved with the FAI at the development plan. You talk about John Delaney talking two years ago about equality. Uh, back in early 2000, himself and Neva Dunahoo uh, charged myself and the women's department to come up with a plan that would, that would offer that equality. And the money that's, that's gone into the game... Uh, in terms of preparation for international teams is, is on a par with the boys. Whether you go from 14, 15, 17, 19, seniors. In fact, the, the, the senior women's would probably arguably have more input internationally given that they have eight friendlies this year. They've just come off from Cyprus from four games. So for that man to say that, it really chose in, in my face and all the people who worked with us to try and get up to get women's game up to the level it's at today. They're looking for... I think Noel King there is making a slightly different argument to the women's team. Yeah. Because at no point really... Yeah, they've said, yeah, we, we need probably a little bit more investment to develop the game. But, like, he's saying, oh, well, the, the women's game is on par with the men's game in terms of the money they're putting in. But, like, a lot of these women aren't professional. It's You don't have a sort of... A, they're just completely different structures. One obviously requires more money than the other. Like, you can inve- you don't necessarily have to invest an enormous amount of money, at least at senior level in the in the international team. In mm. sorry, the men's, I mean, because like you're they're not being developed here anyway. But also I thought Brian Kerr made a great point on this on Soccer Republic where Peter Collins asked him, Well how how are they going to fix this? Is it even fixable? And Brian Kerr was like, Yeah well yeah, it's actually kind of easy. Mm. All they have to do is take a small bit of the money that they're paying the men's team where they seemingly have unlimited resources, top-class hotels, but also the ability to bring in an enormous number of squad members for yeah, a provisional the, squad. The 39-man squad, yeah. seemed, that was mentioned all right, as if maybe maybe that's where you could cast. Just divert that into the women's international team and get them tracksuits and get them a hotel with Wi-Fi. Mm. Such basic demands. I mean, we know you've had your issues in the past with, <laughs> with Wi-Fi. <laughs> you don't, know, you can empathise. Don't mention the war. Uh, 
I was kind you of criticised for that. You got some flack for this. I did, yeah. I once wrote something about Turner's Cross that was kind of ill-advised and uh, rushed, and I got quite a lot of flack online. Not unlike uh, Mr. Noel King, who is criticised a bit for that interview uh, with Gavin Jennings of Morning Ireland. By the way, another Gavin on <laughs> his podcast. It's unbelievable. Uh, Sinead Kassan of TV3. Noel King's comments of Morning Ireland. Dear God. Um, Mary McGill, really hard to take serious. Anyone defending the FAI when they keep referring to the hashtag Ireland Women that Hashtag I-R-L-W-N-T as the girls. Uh, John Fitzpatrick. Hi, Morning Ireland. Noel King seems to think the women's team should pay the FAI for the privilege. Dave Gorman. The tone of Noel King on Morning Ireland is that of a man and company that would rather women not play football at all. Um, I have a tiny bit of sympathy for Noel King in yeah, the sense yeah, that he trained the squad for 10 years. Like So, he's, I mean, his dedication and his, the effort he's put in there can't really be questioned. And I think he might be a little bit insulted by all this talk. Is like the FAI don't care about them. when And he's kind of assuming himself as, yeah. the, as the FAI. Um, Wouldn't be the first time. No. <laughs> uh, so I have sympathy for if he feels that his... Uh, Effort and commitment over 10 years has not been valued. Uh, but I think he's missing the point spectacularly uh, because it's not Noel King specifically. It's the FAI's refusal to engage with the PFAI uh, on all matters. And then obviously there's the there's the little things about the, the tracksuits and all that and the Wi-Fi that are easily fixed. And the, uh, our, the current Irish Women's Player of the Year, Karen Duggan, was also talking in Morning Ireland. And she said, um, the str- the, we gave strong words in the press conference, but they reflect a group of players who really feel like we're at the end of our tether. Uh, we're banging our heads against the wall for a long time um, it's not it's important not to lose sight of what the actual issue here is it's not about getting a tracksuit that's easily resolved but it's about a group of players who are made up of teachers students and footballers at the end of the day not having the skills to go in and interact and make developments with the FAI who have skill negotiators and we feel that we've done it before and not enough action was taken from it it hasn't been proactive from the FAI side this is not meant to be an us versus them thing the crux of the issue is we want to be represented uh, by the PFAI yeah, and that's entirely fair, I think, when you've got a squad of players, some of whom have full-time jobs that aren't getting paid expenses when they miss work to play for their country. Mm. Um, that is appalling. And it's remarkable when you look at the FAI's response to this yesterday, their statement where they were like, we've reached out like six times to these people, all of these dates coming within the last sort of six weeks. But also that Because they knew the storm was coming. That, uh, also, that FAI statement also missed the point. I mean, this is them answering back on something kind of unrelated. The main crux of the issue is, as Karen Duggan just said, is the refusal to engage with the PFAI. And the PFAI is mentioned once in that FAI statement, and it's not in any relation to whether we meet them or whether we refuse to meet them. And Rude Doctor was on off the ball last night, and we ran a letter that we got that we had a look at uh, between the FAI and the players on the site. We ran it yesterday. It was dated, I think, the 31st of March. That is simply, we're not going to talk to the PFAI, and that's just that's been policy. They never really explained it, and they said, look, the men's national team don't get there either, but maybe, you know, the men's national team have, have, prob- have more money, so they can... They don't they necessarily can, need that representation. Um, exactly. And, uh, but now, look, there has been a little bit of change, apparently, there. We'll talk to the PFL this evening, so we... Re- does remain to be seen what happens uh, also apparently John Delaney is giving an interview to RTE Radio at some stage this evening so uh, if you uh, keep a track Paul Tony would probably run something on that <laughs> probably. well maybe <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know like the uh, the surveillance team will be out in force there <laughs> I feel <laughs> they'll be listening to this as well Harry lads hope you're well Gav equality has kind of been the theme of the week this mm. controversy filled week David Moyes landed himself in a little bit of hot water for comments he made to Vicky Sparks of the BBC. She was interviewing him after Sunderland had failed to beat Burnley. The crux of the issue was that she asked him, was Ellis Short, who is Sunderland's owner, his presence in the stadium, did that put 
Moyes' job under threat. Moyes didn't take kindly to it. And then Vicky Sparks' recorder remained on after their interview and picked up a couple of curious remarks from Mr. Moyes. I think we can listen to those now. A bit naughty at the end there, so just watch yourself. And you, might get a looking, you still might get a slap even though you're a woman. The laughter there... Uncomfortable, probably, yeah. is how I describe it. Yeah, uh, I don't know what a person is expected to do there, really, apart from sort of laugh and try and pass it off. It's a weird situation that Vicky Sparks found herself in, or more importantly, that David Moyes put her in. Oh God, yeah. I think uh, the dynamic of this changed slightly when people heard the clip because a lot of people were saying, "Well, look, it was it was banter." It was uh, it was a passing remark. Mm. It was intended as a bit of a jibe. I don't think it was more serious than that. And I have to say, like when when the story broke first, I, I was curious as to the context of it because first we only saw quotes, and yeah. I was thinking, well, like, it's easy to read that and think that's really bad. Of course, it's bad. Okay, he's talking about hitting a woman, but what I mean is, has it been blown out of proportion slightly? Because I found that a lot of men, in particular, are tweeting about this going this is unforgivable this is unacceptable this is a disgrace and i'm not gonna lie to you like a part of me was thinking is it because i wondered is it implicitly sexist of me to think that a female journalist would be offended by those remarks you know i'm thinking am i in my own mind sort of perpetuating this idea that a woman wouldn't be able to deal with that the same way a male journalist would okay so i was a little bit i was in a a bit of a conundrum, a bit okay. of a pickle. Morally, I was yeah. like, I, I didn't want to say too much about it because I, I hadn't really made my mind up. Obvi- obviously, right, this is, we're living in a sort of a culture of outrage, generally speaking, yesterday, um, or what day was it? Yeah, when the Pepsi, cr- like the whole world was up in arms about a Pepsi app. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like that that's the way the world goes now. Yeah. And if you say anything untoward or which is perceived to be untoward about this, you could end up the antagonist in like a, Louise O'Neill column you know yeah there is an element of like I'm going to be careful what I say here but like having weighed it up right I I think the issue with what Moyes said I don't think it comes down to whether or not Vicky Sparks was offended or felt threatened by it as weird as that might sound I think it's the fact that it's a professional environment firstly he's it might be familiar with her but doesn't probably know her on a personal level and the very idea that she might feel even slightly threatened by that didn't cross his mind he said it anyway Mm. like if he considered the fact that he is saying something that aligns with a legitimate widespread social issue whereby whereby women are are victims of violence portrayed like by men if he'd even considered that for a second and I'm, i'm sure he must have before he made the comment then how could he have possibly justified what he'd said like she, Vicky Sparks in that particular instance might have absolutely no issue with it whatsoever she didn't mm-hmm. uh, um, make a complaint or anything like that it was the BBC who, who flagged this but we're living in a world as well where you like if you're walking home from work here and there's a woman in front of you like I find myself I have to slow down and just leave them go way way ahead and I'll just stop and go on my phone because if it's dark and you're coming up behind somebody they feel threatened mm. you know what I mean we we are completely ignorant as much as you and I can say uh, violence from men against women is absolutely abhorrent and we understand that and we wonder how the hell could a man do this to mm-hmm. another person another woman we can't really empathize with a feeling of being like being perpetually in a state of 
nervousness or feeling threatened because we didn't grow up with it. You know, we're, we're not walking down the street looking over our shoulders. Mm. So the idea that Moyes would make that comment baffles me. And I think it just shows how completely socially unaware and how clueless he is generally about a lot of things. I know yeah. it was an offhand remark, but... Well, it's his idea of equality. His, his idea of equality. Oh, the... Oh, there's a girl here. Well, the masculine thing to do is to threaten to beat other people up. So that's how I'll say it to women. Like it's, it is appalling. And he, and his press conference afterwards, he says, "Oh well, look, I mean, the, I was under a lot of pressure and all that." And like people have said, it's a, jo- it was, he said it as a joke. Well, like that's incredibly, um, it's just a ter- ter- really bad thing to do. And Moyes uh, apologized for it yesterday, m- the morning after, and then last night I was asked about it again after the game against Leicester. And he said, I've been surprised in many ways. I think the world of football is a great business now. I think it employs an incredible amount of people, whether it'll be whether it's through the media or in the training grounds, and for that reason football is a big talking point. Like that's that's wrong to say as well. Like, I mean, how does he feel that well, this is only a bad thing because loads of people have talked about it? It's obviously a bad thing to do. It's it, it it's just like loads fundam- of people it's fundamentally Tesco, like it's it's inexcusable as to whether it's unforgivable. I think that literally comes down to Vicky Sparks. Uh, it's not for us to say. Like she decides whether mm. she forgives him or not. Apparently, she's accepted his apology. Great. Doesn't mean necessarily we have to move on from it because I think it's it speaks to a wider issue, as I said. Well, it speaks to a wider issue in the sense that he, like, it came from her asking a difficult question, and there's this arrogant assum- arrogant assumption that you don't have the right to question me in any way, in any probing way. And that's either men or women. I think he's, he's yeah. can be, he can be very cutting about journalists, and he's not the only manager in the no, in the world to have been like that. Um, so I think that's there's there's another element to that as well. Yeah, there's a bullying issue. Uh, like you're you're essentially trying to bully somebody away from doing their job. Yeah, because you're, I suppose, briefly going to be put in a, a slightly uncomfortable position. You know, like and there's a delusions of grandeur about this, but I just thought. At the time, I, I was I was a little bit confused by my own reaction to it. Immediately, I'm like, well, I know this is surely wrong. Yeah. But is it as wrong as people are making it out to be in the sense that if she's accepted his apology and having heard the clip, like, you know, a lot of people were saying, oh, he should be fired immediately. He should lose his job mm. for saying that. Then you hear it in context. You're like, okay, that's not great. But maybe it's not what a lot of people thought it was initially. Um but then I came down on the side that it actually is entirely unex- inexcusable to say that to a person of either sex in that job, firstly, to threaten violence, violence against... To threaten violence joke. in a professional in a professional environment. Yeah. Whether it be as a joke or not, it's probably even worse if he thinks it's a joke. Does he deserve to be sacked, then, Gav? Uh, I think he's a dinosaur and he, he, just, he should be just let go extinct, extinct himself. I don't, maybe he doesn't. He's, like, he'll get he is. Anyway. He's, he's teetering. He's doing a terrible job at Sunderland. So. He's teetering at the edge of a cliff. Yeah, but at the same time, look, this is a, a reasonably big deal. Away from Sunderland's form, this is a at least a contentious offence, right? Mm. Um, does he deserve to be sacked for it? Sunderland's PR management over the last couple of years has been an absolute and utter disaster. Um, they hired a fascist. <laughs> they... Oh, yeah. Uh, had a literally a child rapist in their ranks for quite a large portion of a season Mm -hmm. (sighs) does he deserve to be sacked for this I'm not sure Uh, I actually am not sure Um, ultimately he hasn't been sacked and that's the way it'll go and he wants to stay on if they get relegated they inevitably are going to be relegated now 
I think, to be honest, uh, the fact that Vicky Sparks accepted his apology, and I know it's sort of a standard thing to do, even if you don't mean it, but if she perpetuated the issue by just saying, well, actually, I reject her apology, I think he would have been sacked. I think she's really saved his bacon there, uh, for the time being at least. But um, it's time to move on. Yeah. Uh, I met Steve McPhail today. Uh, currently working as the Shamrock Rovers Sporting Director. He was speaking at Trinity College at the announcement of the STAR Project, which is an acronym for Sporting Talent and Academic Rewards. It's run in conjunction with the Trinity College's Access Programme, uh, Shamrock Rovers and Trinity Sport. It's a year-long project. Um, it's piloted it's piloted this September, and it's aimed at providing students from Tala and the inner city with an outreach program that supports both their educational and sporting development. Uh, it will also provide opportunities to engage with college life, thereby hopefully increasing particip- participation rates in third-level education. Uh, I, that's all That's all out of my mind, by the way. I, I wasn't reading that. Uh, so we talked about loads of things, but we did begin uh, by chatting about this program. Yeah, obviously the 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 Trinity um, College, the the, the the whole partnership with the with the club and how, how it works is is, uh, is is obviously huge for us. It's uh, um, obviously at fourteen and fifteen years of age, kids have, have a decision um, in terms of their education, and us as, as a football club, we, we understand how much um, education means to our footballers. So so getting a bit of a partnership together. In terms of going forward, that 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 means that they can they can play their football, but also concentrate fully on their education. So it's a great partnership. Obviously, one of the icon colleges um, around the world. So for us, it's it's a it's a huge big deal for us, and uh, delighted to be here today. It's been great. There's been a, a round robin competition going on since Monday of of inner five inner city schools and five from Tala, our area where Shamrock Rovers is. So they had a round robin in the final today so it's, it's everything seems to be going quite well right. obviously you're involved with Rovers now as a sporting director how have you found moving upstairs and maybe just talk to me about what that job entails yeah listen it's been it's been a roller coaster really of uh, only retired maybe six months ago and um, once I retired the, the, this job came along quite quickly so I didn't have any time off so I've, uh, <laughs> and I've re- realised how much a, a real job it really is when, when, you're, when you're a footballer you just look after number one and you're getting ready for the next game next training session but, but this job really entails thinking about everybody else but yourself so it's, uh, it's been interesting I've been listening to the daily stuff, the meetings, we could have four or five meetings a day about all different stuff regarding the football club. So it's uh, no, it's been interesting. I've been around the first team quite nearly every day and as much as possible. Obviously, around the manager uh, daily, we share an office together with 
with with, uh, with each other and the, the two other coaching staff, Damien Duff and Glenn Cronin. So it's that that's been a good 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 source of outlay that I can still have a, a bit of part to play on the pitch. So I'm really really loving it, really enjoying it, still learning and still making mistakes, but. Uh, Looking forward to continuing. Yeah, definitely. I don't want to, this to come across too cruelly, but at Leeds you had experience of how not to run a club going on around you. What kind of what influence? What would you examples would you take from your playing career to bring into the current job as a sporting director? Yeah, but the huge the huge part for me was obviously I've come through academy system at Leeds, which is probably at the time one of the best in Europe um, in terms of producing players and, and when the club. And the hierarchy came to me and asked me about this job. That was crucial that, that they gave us the time to, to, to work in the academy structure. And um, I think the whole re- reconstruction of the, of the football club in terms of uh, from the under eight right through to the first team has really been taught out properly. I think um, we just got implement the way, the way we wanted, wanted to work and, and try and build a really strong club from bottom to top and, and not, not concentrate too much on the, on the first team, yeah. which which it leads to sort of went at one stage where the budgets were, were all over the place we're not going to do that we're going to make sure we grow our players and hopefully they become first team players and, and if it, we know our place in the, in the field chain if you like that um, bigger clubs will come along if the lads are doing really well we understand that but um, we want we want the club to be to be run properly from top to bottom and uh, for me to be in, to be around the board members the chairman I speak with daily just to keep them informed on the football side of things and how we're going so uh, just to be relaxed yeah. and give us time to, to produce because we feel we've got the right ammunition to, to go forward so, can we chat about your playing career? yeah, 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 yeah how, no do you look, how do you look back at the entire Leeds experience is it bittersweet having been so high and then everything ending up so badly for the club or is it kind of a happy time you look back on back at it um, no it's definitely a happy time this one made me debut just uh, around my 18th birthday in the Premier League and got to play in uh, Champions League UEFA Cup semi-finals um, all these memories which I look back to is, is, is probably the highlight really of my career obviously Cardiff I, I loved and, and uh, got to play in big games there too but yeah now Leeds is obviously disappointing the way it ended because um, we all sort of had to disperse and leave the club in a very short time and we were we were listen I was there since I was fifteen and the majority of the squad was come through the, the academy so it's a shame but now I look back for memories loved it. Yeah obviously playing in some amazing games as yeah. I was just reading about them last night. There was one apparently where you and Gary Kelly had a bit of a pray before oh, Barcelona. Yeah yeah, yeah yeah it's probably got out a bit the yeah Barcelona in the Champions League uh, halfway down that, that uh, tunnel there's a the little chapel to the left and Said a prayer, but it didn't really work. He got beat. He got beat four nil. So <laughs> I think Ravanzo. Yeah, yeah, Rav- yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's okay. That, that's okay. Yeah. And but there seems to be quite a good team spirit in that group. Did you sort of shave your heads or something before? We the, did. Yeah, we shaved our heads before the Valencia game. Yeah, we had a great. I think if you speak to anyone now who was involved in that squad, the, the main focus that would come out of the conversation with any of the players would be our team spirit was was incredible. The the tightness of the group and. Uh, and really, the leaders and the the older players were just so close to to us as young lads. It was it was untrue. They looked after us really well, but gave us our bollockings daily uh, when we needed them. When we weren't producing our standards on and off the pitch, and I think that's a, it's a that's a massive part of the game, and that's what we're trying to bring into our club. Is trying to have that 
that uh, definitely that camaraderie and that team spirit's huge brings teams a long way yeah and did the influx of constant influx of new signings and big money signings did that affect team spirit ultimately um, not so much now um, Rio Ferdinand came in talking about big signings Robbie Olivier Decor Robbie Keane came in it didn't really disrupt any of the because they were, they were all in the same wavelength and, and definitely the the, the the team squad and the, the, the main core of that group was, was always together it was never, there was never any ins and outs of it no I think it was just more or less the structure behind the scenes off the pitch was, was wrong and that's what, what ultimately fell down on me mm-hmm. you went on you captain Cardiff at an FA Cup final very few Irish players have done that you must look back with a lot of pride in that moment yeah that was probably one of the it definitely is one of the highlight probably with my first international cap of my moments that stand out for me and stand in its own roasting hot day mm-hmm. in, in Wembley just uh, to lead your team out and, and introduce them to, 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 to the whole to the whole world really it was special a special week it's a week 10 days leading up to it. it's huge huge media focus from all around the world Chinese uh, Australian New Zealand all these uh, countries really tune into it, and it's a it's a massive massive focus, and, and a lot of the press days were interesting because it was there were long days after training. But uh, as a captain, it was and, and get a chance to lead out with the team in Wembley is something a dream of. Never thought it would happen, but it was yeah, it's a special moment. Yeah, uh, obviously the time at Cardiff was uh, interrupted by illness twice. Uh, how did you find? I don't want to rush through this too yeah. much, but how did you find battling through that and? How did, how did you come back? It was twice. You yeah, was it lymphoma? yeah, yeah, lymphoma removed, and then I had a Sjögren syndrome, which was a follow-up of that, which was diagnosed within a year of that. So, yeah, listen, I, football really um, gave me the drive to get back. I think All right, okay. it was I always sort of tried to cut it down to getting treatment and getting fit and well as quickly as I could. I know it sounds. A bit selfish, but that that's that's where I put myself, and I wanted to drive to get back in the pitch. People were writing me off saying I'd never play again, and I never felt like that. At one stage, I probably did, but um, lucky enough, the treatment sort of worked, and, and I feel, felt myself getting better. But I always just wanted to get back playing football because I knew that was the peak of my career. Thirty years of age, I was flying, I was sixty games a year playing, and then all of a sudden. Been told you've got cancer was, was a bit of a, an eye opener. I'm sure uh, it didn't really sink in. It still probably hasn't because uh, we haven't time to think about it. Things have just rolled on. But I just used the football as a focus to get back on the pitch and get myself as healthy as possible again. Really. Yeah, and you did get back, of course. And you came back from Rovers. I think you came back to Rovers having turned down contracts in England. Is that right? Yeah, my family moved back and with a wife and two kids. Um, and they were coming to Crucial Aids and they. Education, we were here in, in, in probably the the best place to talk about education. But yeah, they were they were starting school, my little boy. So we went, we had a decision to make and where we're going to settle. And um, so yeah, we made the decision to my wife to move home. I was at Sheffield Wednesday at the time, and just things weren't working out. I was travelling two, 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 three times a week, jumping on a plane and having twelve hours, and then jumping back. And it just wasn't football was. I wasn't concentrating on where I wanted to be. So. Made a decision to come home and obviously supported Rovers as a kid and 
Yeah. It was a club that always close to me and close to my heart, so delighted to get an opportunity to play for them. Right. I know we're time for time, so no, it's fine. Two, Don't worry. Yeah, two so. final questions. Uh, firstly, you may be in an inside track to give this Robbie King back to Rowers. Did it come close to happening, or may it happen? No, yeah. or listen, Robbie's Robbie's training. Uh, with us the last I don't know two or three weeks so um, I think he's there's never been a conversation between me and Robbie so it's uh, about about playing for overs I'm sure that if, if Robbie wants to play for overs he knows he's got a, he's got a good chance of playing but um, I'm sure he's got other op- options that he's trying to perceive and make the right decision for him but um Listen, we'd be delighted to have him, but it's it's not it's not I'm not going to push him on that. That's his decision. Yeah, in terms of your own international career, do you, how do you look back on it? You only only got ten caps. Yeah. I always thought you were deserving of a lot more. Do you feel that way? Um, I don't feel I deserve too much more. in terms of it just never happened. I've, I've, I think I sat in probably sixty, seventy uh, benches and never yeah. got on. So it's, that's a frustrating part. Where you think there should be more caps there, but listen, it's. I got a chance to play for my country. Delighted. Um, wish it was. If you ask me, wish it was more. Of course, I do. But I'm sure, everyone thinks like that, you know. But uh, now I enjoyed it. It's different. Loads of different managers, different types of um, of players and formations that they that went ahead of me. So um, don't feel unfortunate. I'm delighted I got a chance to play. Really. Yeah. Okay. One final question. We ask this to all of our football guests. Name the two best players you've ever trained with. <laughs> Not necessarily played, but who was the best in the training grade? Trained. Best trainers. Um, I love David Batty for me. He was someone that we grew up, grew up at Leeds with, and he really set the benchmark for me and how to play in midfield and, and how to be an RL midfielder. In love, terms of attitude, or in atti- terms of attitude, skill, determination, um, and definitely as a man because he, he taught me how to behave. Uh, um, Another one would be probably Gary Kelly, who's a close friend of mine, who really pushed me as a as a young boy. He was obviously a bit older than me and, and got into the first team in Leeds a bit a bit quicker. But he was the one that really drove me and, and gave me the belief that I could I could really be like him. And thankfully, I got made a, an okay career out of it. Really, I was delighted to be mm-hmm. get twenty years playing football. It's something that I never dreamt of. Really, more than okay, Stephen. Thanks I'm so much. Okay, thank you. Cheers. Get double the odds on first goal scorer with Ladbrokes. That's right, if you're winning first goal scorer scores in the opening 20 minutes of selected live matches, then Ladbrokes will double the odds. Available in Ladbrokes shops nationwide. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Dunlewy.net. Mr. Cooney, it's time for our Ladbrokes bet of the week. You are back on duty. Yeah, I've been entrusted with this over the last few weeks. Uh, it didn't land last week, unfortunately. We had a, a wild 22-1 to shot and Man- an Arsenal seed at halftime of the Emirates, but Man City to win. Um, Man City led at halftime and then nobody nobody won in a really weirdly bad game. Uh, so I'm going to go for a double on this Sunday's action. Uh, Manchester United to beat Sunderland and Everton to draw with Leicester. It uh, works out with 3.86-1. to that's the, one of the oddest bets I've ever seen. It's a super, like, you know, the Super Sunday double on Sky, so settle down, okay. get your best lips out, and then hopefully win some money. Hopefully, United will beat Sunderland in the early game, so there's a bit of jeopardy there with the Everton Leicester game. That's. Yeah, I, I'm guessing the feeling that you're not on board with this shit. I, do, I don't know. Man United beating teams at the moment seems difficult for them. Ah, but my Sunderland, the ball. Sunderland are dreadful. Uh, and they've got a dreadful man as their manager. But we need to read some of these specials. Ladbrokes are offering double odds in the following games. 
in store if your first goal score comes in the first 20 minutes. <laughs> 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 if your first goal score comes through in the first 20 minutes. Jesus, that's uh, quite a marathon <laughs> session for this for the striker. <laughs> Only 20 minutes. Chelsea versus Man City, that is on Wednesday night. Spurs versus Watford on Saturday. Bournemouth versus Chelsea Saturday also. Sunderland versus Man United on Sunday. Everton versus Leicester on Sunday. And Crystal Palace versus Arsenal on Monday. So yeah, uh, let's hope your striker comes through in the first 20 minutes and you will get double odds on those games. It is time now for Weird Shit from the Internet. At Ladbrokes, if one team lets you down on your ACA of five teams or more, you'll get your money back as a free bet up to €25. Ladbrokes, online, mobile and in-shop. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. Dunlouis.net. The only thing that they have got is the big boy up front, Sigurdsson, who really... Sigthorsson. Oh, my words. Gav, Andy Tate is back. The man is a maniac. It's exciting. Yeah. Well, we listen to it. I'm so excited that he's back. Come on, play it, Stephen. Hi, guys. Adam here. I'm with Andy Tate. We're outside Old Trafford. 1-1. Another draw at Old Trafford. More points dropped. 20 games unbeaten, but 10 of them have been draws. Does that basically show you where our problems are? Or are there bigger problems at Man United? There are bigger bigger problems. Bigger pl- Some players, I don't know how they justify. Bottle jobs tonight, a lot of them. I'm sick of these drawings. Uh, Jesse Lingard, what does he do? What, what, what? This contract's what he's doing. Don't sign it, mate. Just go. I don't, I don't know what's the hype in this kid. He, he turns it, it on. Can you blame Jesse Lingard for today? No, though? I can't. I'm blaming all of them because the hype, the, the pressure, they're not delivering and they're living in a comfort zone. And I, I don't want to say this. I'm really upset. I'm agitated. But the f- bottle jobs, a lot of them. I'm sorry. All of them. This is, is not. This is not down to Jose. This is down to the, every player on that pitch. Rojo, <laughs> Fellaini, <laughs> De Gea, <laughs> all of them tonight <laughs> not delivering. The goal from Zlatan. It was a clear goal. I can't referee. <laughs> but a lot of them tonight all <laughs> bottle jobs. I'm sorry, and I'm <laughs> sick of this. Deliver or just don't <laughs> bother turning up. Some would say we need to wait. We need to give it time. You need to give the manager time. Oh, yeah, I'll give him time. But some of these players, this is not Jose's team. He's brought in four players, four of his own players, and the rest of them can all f*** in the summer, some of them. I'm sorry, because I am... Everyone's frustrated, everyone's upset, everyone's angry. But these players stand up to the marker. Wear that shirt, wear that f***ing badge with some pride. Or f*** off in the summer. Um, Top four gone. Yes, gone. Finish, finito. You throw all your eggs into the Europa League now. Is that dangerous? It's a cup competition. Well, you throw it in. That's it. We're not. I don't. Europa League's your bread. Premier League's your bread and butter, but it's it's not acceptable. Nine, ten draws at home, or is it nine, ten draws? It's unacceptable. It's, it's the the players don't are not delivering. The fans deserve better. You know what I mean? What they fucking do? So what? We, we salvage the point. I would have a lose tonight. Because it's 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 just not acceptable. The lot of them getting your car off home, go to your mansion. Enough. Not good enough. Yeah, piss poor. Oh my word! What a return to form. I love the bit where so Tate is only needed to ask maybe one, possibly two, like couple of word questions, and off he goes. It's like lighting the fuse, and then the bomb explodes, and then. 
the presenter after re- just standing back shocked at this amazing barrage of insults went uh, so uh, top top four top, gone, top four gone? <laughs> <laughs> gone. <laughs> uh, that was amazing I can't wait for his next BT ad oh so it was so good it's so good to have him back also the the producers left in an F word so my hunch is there that was he dropping a C-bomb there the ones the ones that are bleeped out no, because he, I definitely heard him say Fellaini. <laughs> so I think he was just saying. I think that was just neglect on the producer's behalf. It's funny because when he rose to fame there a couple of seasons ago, I don't think he was as profane as that. Andy, I think he, this time he actually might mean <laughs> he it. was. That was the most profane I've heard him. But he was also so he's at his best when he's really Manchester. <laughs> yeah. uh, like I'm agitated. Oh, he went back to 1995 there. Oh, like he was. So it was good. as if he was uh, accosting a Blur fan at one point there. Uh, one player he did not mention was Luke Shaw. Great tweet this from uh, so Raf Hogenstein okay. last night. He's uh, after Luke Shaw earned United a penalty, which dug them out a little bit against Everton last minute. Uh, Raf tweeted Shaw's shanked redemption yeah, in reference to his scuffed right-footed volley, which Ashley Williams inexplicably decided what to would say, dive and save. What I would say is that it wasn't much of a redemption in the eyes of Jose Mourinho. It's some more weird things to say. This about was Luke incredibly Shaw. weird. I couldn't believe this weird, weird shit. Uh, so Shaw has lots of potential. This is after the game, after Shaw came on, uh, replacing Ander Herrera as a left-back, which is kind of weird as well. Uh, Shaw has lots of potential, but the football brain and the professional brain has to be with the talent. He has to change his football brain. He was doing things in the second half and he was reacting to my voice. If he was on the other side, for sure he would not do it. I was thinking for him and leading his performance. If he was on the other side, it would not be the same and at his level, it is not possible. He has to improve and we have to help. Uh, You'd wonder why Jose, his players are lacking confidence slightly. I mean, he, this was in an interview with the BBC mm. after the game. He'd spoken to BT before that. Uh, for some reason, whoever was doing the interview for BT Sport did not ask him about Luke Shaw, which was pretty much the talking point from the entire game. And he was saying, well, look, uh, it, look for, for just a couple of brief moments, he seemed to drop this lunacy act. And he, he was just a reasonably sincere individual. Mm. He was like, we didn't play well today. The linesman made a mistake with the goal, but I don't blame him because it was a very tight decision. If we have virtual or uh, video assistant referee or whatever you want to call it, VAR, uh, we probably win the game. But ultimately, it's down to us. We didn't play well. Blah, blah, blah. You know, fair enough. Mm. That, that, that's probably the most uh, sincere thing you've said since you became Manchester United manager. But then he gets to the BBC interview and certainly the BBC interview came out afterwards. I'm not sure which one took place first. Probably BT. But <laughs> he goes off in this rant about Luke Shaw again and you're, you're kind of thinking like you've just spoken about how your players some of your players are lacking confidence and then you absolutely tear into a kid essentially he's mm. Luke Shaw's 21 like how do you expect it to be any different but I think intriguingly I only saw this after the game last night but Zlatan Ibrahimovic did a sort of a, a brief interview with BT before the game as part of their coverage where okay. he uh, declared himself a lion he said uh, I am a lion and lions don't compare themselves to human beings in reference to Sergio okay. Aguero and Romelu Lukaku but he also mentioned he sort of implied that he's playing alongside pussycats uh, he is a lion he's playing alongside mere mm-hmm. tabby alley cats <laughs> and what was interesting about it, he was asked about Jose Mourinho and how much he's changed since their Inter Milan days. He said he, he's still the same winner, but now he has a different sort of perception on when to pull the trigger, quote unquote, 
and when not to pull the trigger. What does that mean? Like, as in, uh, in terms of absolutely players. blasting players. And he said what he's noticed from Mourinho since, uh, since Mourinho took over United and since Zlatan joined United is that Mourinho now looks at certain players and it's almost like he's taking a gamble He's, I think Zlatan used the words like pushing limits or pushing it as far as he can push it with certain players. And like, you look at the Shaw situation. He's just come on. He actually played well when he came on mm. last night. And then Mourinho goes back to blasting him. And it seems now that it is a bit of an experiment for Mourinho. And uh, I'm not sure how calculated it is, but it certainly is a gamble. It seems as though he feels Shaw, despite all this criticism of him, mm. can actually take it a little bit and it might move him forward. But there's also like a 75% chance it's going to end in disaster because you could absolutely crush a player. By yeah, I things. feel that Mourinho gave um, a very placid and reasonable press conference to BT and then did the BBC one. And he's thinking, if I don't walk out of this interview room without having pissed someone off, that almost doesn't get his gears turning. That, like, that is almost his fuel, the conflict and chaos is kind of the fuel which makes him get up in the morning to prove someone wrong or to you know, jolt someone into action, which show... He's done this before, um, oh, by yeah. the way. Do you... Um, do you remember Pedro Leon? Pedro Leon, Leon, Pedro yeah. Leon yeah. He was um, a local lad at Real Madrid, and obviously he had the kind of the uh, a, a strong lobby group among the Madrid media. And Mourinho obviously hated this. You journalists talk of Pedro Leon as if he was Zidane or Maradona or Di Stefano. I don't have to justify his absence. Uh, and then in, there was also another quote that came via a Sidlo art- article in The Guardian. Uh, Mourinho once told Leon that even if the team plane crashed without him on it and he was the only man available, he still would not play the following week. Um, Leon alluded to workplace bullying uh, when Mourinho was around. So he's done this before. Yeah. But I like. oftentimes I feel that Mourinho is a little bit... like He often talked about United being his perfect job and this being the job that he always wanted. Was that great idea that he he wept when David Moyes got the job ahead of him after Ferguson and oftentimes it's felt a little bit uncomfortable when Mourinho talks about well when you play at United you have to commit to a certain style of play and he doesn't really do that and but this is I mean the treatment of young players like Ferguson would never have done this Ferguson not, not publicly Roy Keane for publicly, publicly criticising young players and well maybe it suited Keane, uh, suited Ferguson to get rid of the Keane at that time I'd say Ferguson did worse behind the scenes. It's just that he wouldn't do it in an interview. Yeah. I don't this all know began, it. by the way, with, with uh, Mourinho questioning Luke Shaw's attitude and fitness and yeah, training. And, his commitment now, and, and I thought this was a bit unfair, Mourinho's part, but I, I, I've since seen uh, some a couple of people dig up some old headlines that maybe Mourinho has a point. Uh, here's a headline. Louis van Hal says Luke Shaw's not fit enough to meet his and Manchester United's training demands and will ah, train yeah, alone. Yeah, yeah. England boss Roy Hodgson shared concerns over Luke Shaw's fitness. Uh, Mauricio, uh, there's another quote here. I think you need to speak to Mauricio Pochettino. I spent a lot of time with Luke as a 16 and 17 year old. I know Pochettino had to work hard with him on the fitness and conditioning side of the game. That's from Hodgson. Uh, and then Mourinho, uh, in last February, said Mourinho show has to work hard for a chance. So it's a, it's a constant thing. And Mourinho obviously feels that the best way of getting to this is to do it publicly. But I think it's kind of tone deaf of him to go immediately after what like probably Luke Shaw is coming off the biggest high of his week or his month by playing well and basically getting them a goal by earning the penalty goal ball was probably going in and Ashley Williams not handled it to do it after that is I don't know it, like, it's a little bit yeah it, but it's totally it's, lacking empathy I can understand in in a sense like I think I can understand why why he's done it I don't think it's right necessarily but I'd say he's at wit's end with Shaw uh, this is I know Reno didn't spend money on him but 
United did. And I think Mourinho traditionally looks at a player who, when he's 21, he's a man. And it's time to, uh, as Andy, Ta- Andy Tate put it, step up to the market. Yeah. And I think with Shaw, he's failing to do that or has done so far. Like, the fitness thing isn't a new issue. Like, the, the headlines you read out there, like, this was a concern at Southampton. It was a concern um, when he arrived at United. Like, And United fans are well aware of this. Like, there was always suggestions that Shaw's body shape is almost... Rooney like in that he could lose his pace by the time he's 25 or 26 that he doesn't necessarily look after himself then there were various reports that he actually goes home between games like I don't know is he from London or maybe back to Southampton but certainly south of Manchester and hadn't told the club that he was doing this Mourinho was furious I think it's it's more probably than just um than just his physical uh, attributes like I think there's there's an attitude thing there as well and it's not necessarily like oh he doesn't care I think he he might be just a little bit uh what's the word like delicate you mm. know a little bit soft maybe homesick that kind of stuff and it's putting him off uh giving his all for the club and then but if I was Sean I I'm of that character and I listen to those post-game words I'd be like I'm not, I'm not going to play for you. Like I mean, that's that. Yeah. That would make me feel but very I bad. Always, but I always think with these things, the manager knows the character of the player more so than us who read the yeah. odd classy gesture from Luke Shaw to mm. a sick kid or a very brief interview in the Manchester Evening News. He's he works with him every day. Like I still don't think he's certain that this is going to get a reaction out of Shaw. But I also am starting to think he doesn't necessarily care. I think it's like he looks at Shaw and I was like, he's not my responsibility. I'm not here to babysit him. I can try and spur him on, and I think this is my own. Like, this is the only way it's going to work. Uh, I've tried pretty much everything else behind the scenes. Now I'm going public with it. If it works, it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, because let's be honest, Shaw responded last night to what Mourinho had said a couple of days previous. Maybe Mourinho was thinking after as well. We'll go again then. Yeah, I see, mean that's absolutely the legitimate. Uh, in terms of Mourinho, traditionally wins the league in his second season. I mean that's the great hope now for Manchester United fans. And if they get the Europa League, it'd be a pretty they're, good they, season. They, they, they? They, w- they won't win the Premier League next season. Like they're they're not a good enough team. And like I just want to has he improved them. I, I, he absolutely has. Like, there's no doubt in my mind. I know, like, he's actually two points behind Van Gaal's yeah, first yeah. season. But come on, like, I mean, well, there I mean, have been there have been at least sort of we'll say seven, eight games this season where United have played good football. Like, there's no point in saying otherwise. But there's been so many draws now, particularly at home, and they have a pattern. Like, you can write off a few as Tom Heaton has a mat, as a man of the match performance and. But like when it keeps happening, that's two in a week. Fair now. enough, right? But I and I actually think that's a legitimate point. But like you look at some of the chances players have missed in these games. Like he can I know you're saying he's playing with Luke Shaw's playing with my brain and whatever. Yeah. He can kick the balls for them. Like some <laughs> of these are absolutely inexcusable misses. Not so much last night, but you're talking about that Burnley game. Like there is an element of United almost like have a hoodoo over them now at Old Trafford. Like they're very nervous. Uh, they're not composed in front of goal ever there. Uh, they, they're they overthinking things. And then it just descends to farce around the 65-minute mark. They start lumping the ball up to Fellaini or whoever mm. structure goes out the window. Like, I don't know necessarily how much of that comes down to him because it seems like, on the face of it, if you're dominating all these teams, and they did dominate Everton in the second half last night, then he must be doing something right. But he can't put the ball in a net. I, I think that comes down to a lot of young players... And uh, to be honest, a lot of average players, like Andy Tate referenced Jesse Lingard. What does he do? I'm not sure, really. He's a decent squad player. He might come in to make a decent half an hour impact. And he's, yeah, he won an FA Cup. He scored a, a wonder goal in the Community Shield. But phew, is he the kind of player who's going to 
change a game or win a game in his own. Not usually. Mm. Um, a lot of them are too hot and cold. Marin Fellaini obviously shouldn't be a Manchester United player, but the issue is... But Mourinho keeps picking him. Yeah, but... He keeps bringing him off the bench for these games. Because he follows instructions and he does what he's told, whereas these other... And he is... Well, then, sure, well, then that's their instructions that are blunting United's attacking threat. So Mourinho should... I mean, how? why can't he coach... Like, you don't know what a Man United goal looks like if it's not Pogba dinking the ball 35 yards diagonally for Zlatan. Like, why can't he coach attacking moves like like structured attacking play he doesn't seem to do that maybe not i'm not well i don't know they have scored some lovely goals this season as well so it's hard to it's hard to say that he hasn't improved their attack i think he has but also i think the players i don't know i don't know yeah. i've seen i've seen enough of united this season and i've seen them play football and score goals where i'm like oh there's something happening there it might improve and i think it's easy looking at looking at United on the back of two really disappointing home draws and say like, oh, well, sure, the whole thing is the exact same because there have been spells during the season well, where Van it Hal- hasn't been. Van Hal was sacked for passing the ball sideways and playing this god-awful football to watch. With, it was a lot worse. With so. players who, you know, with attacking players who a lot of people felt that, oh, they're good if they'd be just let off the leash, like mm. Marcus Rashford or Anthony Martial is occasionally let off the leash. Those players are there and Zlatan and Pogba has been brought into the mix as well. And like, I mean, it's not that much better. Uh, oh, I'd say it's a decent amount better. I mean, Is ask it? any United fan. Yeah, but like that's how bad it was under Van Gaal, though. That's not necessarily um, a feather in Mourinho's cap. That's how bad it was under Van Gaal. Yeah. It was stagnant. It was horrible. United now at least will pour forward in their thro- in their droves if they're not winning a game. Like under Van Gaal, that, that even that wasn't happening. You know, it really was bad. But first season and third season, second season they did play a little bit of football here and there. Yeah. They got some big results, but I. I I don't know. I look. I look at Mourinho now, and I'm thinking. Firstly, it feels like he's been there for fucking ever. You know, like mm. it, it, there is an element of like inertia to this because they're just consistently dropping points at home, and they're always in sixth position or fifth or whatever. Um, it's it's got to be the Europa League now. That the, the league is gone. Top four is gone. I think uh, just because they won't be able to string a consistent run of results together, they they haven't showed the the ability to do that all season, and that's not going to change towards the end of the season. Yeah. But I think at the end of the season. I wouldn't be uh, necessarily disappointed in what Mourinho's done. Yeah. Like, I think okay. baby, baby steps for now because I just don't think the players, a lot of the players, are, are quite up to that level. Slantan yeah. will leave next season as well, by the way, and we're going to be in big, big trouble. I think he might leave this season. He is, definitely. Well, He's yeah. losing patience. Um, uh, by the way, Liverpool by the way, have lost Sadio Mane for the rest of the season, which means they probably will implode now. And PJ Brown had a great phrase in the office for this this week, and I think he's absolutely right that like a drunk stumbling home to bed, Arsenal will make fourth we'll place. Make place. Yeah, yeah. That, that's no. I actually think he's wrong this time. I don't. I don't think Arsenal are going to finish in the top four. Who is going to finish in the top four before we wrap up? Oh, I think Arsenal now. I think Liverpool will struggle without Mane and if any number of injured players beginning against Bournemouth tonight. So I think Arsenal might nick a fourth place, but and with City third, Spurs second, and Chelsea will probably win the league. I haven't seen it. Yeah, well, I haven't seen anything of Arsenal that would suggest that they're going to finish fourth. Ah, uh, I don't know. Liverpool, 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 Liverpool will will probably sneak in there. That's all we've got time for, though. Um, be sure to let it, let us know who you think will finish in the top four. Or let us know what you think of Jose Mourinho or Manchester United's football. Or, I don't know, Andy Tate. Send us more Andy Tate stuff. Yeah, please uh, do. Just contact us using the hashtag TheBallBag. We sort of curate that on Twitter, so we will see it. Our thanks, as always, go to Ladbrokes. Our thanks go to Stephen McPhail. 
Hope you yeah, enjoyed the chat Steven. with Jav earlier. And until next Wednesday. Next Wednesday? Yeah, probably next Wednesday. Yeah. Sorry, I'm getting mixed up with all that we do. <laughs> Same. Same. Until then, take it easy. Thank <laughs> you.